Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. kids church today but it looks like it doesn't matter because all the families that have little kids are out and the older kids are happy to sit downstairs and eat bagels anyway so um, and drink more coffee than their parents would probably like them to have so, <clears throat> but <clears throat> I actually prepared a little bit of a children's message and it's good enough that you need to hear it um, and that's not just because of me that's because of God's word. So if you've got your Bibles, do quickly open them up to Luke chapter 11. And we're just going to look at verses 9 and 10. This is just so you can make sure that I am appropriately representing Jesus in what he has to say. And it looks like I, t I had to type this in by hand. And so you can see what a great typist I am when I am not copying and pasting out of a program uh, the, the verses. So here's what Jesus has to say. He's just taught his disciples, like Shelley read to us earlier, the Lord's Prayer. Um, and that, you know, clearly has got that component of your kingdom come, your will be done. Make provision for us. Help us to, to find forgiveness in you as we forgive others. And then Jesus begins to tell a little bit of a parable about someone seeking help and from a neighbor and, you know, that neighbor eventually giving that help. And then here in Luke chapter 11, he begins to speak about our relationship with the Father. So verses 9 and 10, Jesus says to the, uh, this to us. He says, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. That should say one, but you know. Uh, so the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And so Jesus teaches the disciples, then he goes on to explain about how the Father will give the Spirit to everyone who asks. And a lot of times we take this little passage on prayer and we turn it into like a gumball machine. Anybody ever have a gumball machine? I had a really nice one for my desk. I think I let the kids use it and now I don't know where it is. Uh, but, but I had a really nice one because I actually wouldn't put gumballs in there. I would put either jelly beans or the little sour candies that were the balls. Yeah, that's the living right there because I don't really like chewing gum very long. So anyway, I digress. This verse has, uh, this little passage has been used to justify turning our prayer life into something akin to a gumball machine where we put in a prayer and we turn the knob and we hope we get a good one. Right? And the truth is, is that Jesus is not here teaching that when we pray, we will always receive a sweet treat. Instead, what Jesus is teaching here is that we are to be persistent in our prayer and that when we pray, we will always receive an answer. When we look at how he lays this out, he says, I, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. And in our minds, we think, ask and we'll get what we've asked for but what jesus is saying here is ask and you will receive right now he doesn't say you'll receive what you asked for 
He says you will receive, though. And, and, and when we're talking about prayer, when we're asking God for something, what we will receive every time we pray is an answer. He also says the one who seeks will find. When we seek God's will in prayer, what will we find? His will. But not necessarily the treasure at the end of the rainbow that we were expecting. When we want a door to be opened and we knock with passion and the door opens, does that mean on the other side of the door will be what we expected? No. I mean, if you've ever gone door-to-door witnessing and you, you, you come up and you knock on the door and somebody opens the door and sometimes it's a pleasant experience and it's this joy and, and you get to share Jesus and sometimes it's an hour-long argument about how you don't even worship the right God. The door opens and it's not what we expected sometimes. So, some things I wanted to teach the kids, which it's relevant for all of us today, and we're going to see it in Habakkuk as well, is that God always answers our prayers. Garth Brooks sang a song, uh, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayer. It, it's, it's a terrible song theologically, because God always answers our prayers. And sometimes we have the privilege that we have prayed in accordance with God's perfect will for our life, and he has the joy of saying to us, yes, here you go. This is what I want for you. I am so happy that it's what you want as well. Sometimes, though, he says no. And you might think, well, that seems mean. That doesn't seem quite right. If you will remember back to looking through and reading through the Gospel of Mark, Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed. And he prayed not just once, but here the Son of God incarnate prayed three times. And what was his prayer? Anybody remember? Yeah, it really boils down to, God, Father, please don't let me get crucified. I know what's coming down the pike. If there is any other way to accomplish this, can we do it that way? And what did the Father say to Jesus? Well, audibly nothing, right? But as we watched the next few hours unfold in the life of Christ, what was the Father's answer? No. I hear your heart. I love you. You have knocked, you have sought, you have asked, and you are receiving, and you are, it's coming to you, and the door is opening. But on the other side of that door, that answer, what you're receiving, it's a no this time. And it's going to proceed in a way that, that you didn't want. Now, sometimes we also get this privilege of prayer, and some of you guys have had it. Just wait. Hold on. It's not time for you to know yes. It's not time for you to know no. But it is time for you to continue in prayer. It is time for you to keep trusting me. And so God always answers our prayers. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, and sometimes it is simply wait, and you'll see what I'm going to do. And so I, I want you to, to, to say this with me. Um, n- number one, let's repeat the, the, the phrase, God always answers prayers. I I want you to say it. I want you to voice it. I want you to hear yourself saying it. So on the count of three, God always answers prayers. Okay, so one, two, three. God always answers prayers. Always. And the three answers, yes, no, wait. He always answers our prayers. And that's where we're going to go here in 
Habakkuk. So now that you've looked in Luke and we've seen some words of Jesus, flip it back up uh, or back towards the front and let's look in the book of Habakkuk together. And you guys remember, I like to switch around Bible versions, uh, Bible translations. So just, to, just when you think you've got me figured out, I'm going to switch a little bit. And uh, it's like Shelly lives with this. So, you know, you only get it once a week. She has it every day of her life where um, she never knows what's going to come. Now, remember, we've said that every Bible translation that we will use here is good because they are based on the original Greek and Hebrew languages, which none of us can read. And so we have good English translations translations to help us understand what God's word says. So Habakkuk chapter 1, and so as you're flipping there, you're finding it, scrolling uh, through your YouVersion app and finding today's event, a quick reminder about Habakkuk's world as we read here in a few moments from the Christian Standard Bible. Habakkuk's world, remember it is the kingdom of Judah. As we went through the history of Israel last year, we understood that God had established them as a singular nation. They did okay under Saul. They did gangbusters under David and Solomon. And then Solomon's son and one of his generals split the kingdom in half and it shrank dramatically and existed as two kingdoms. In the north, the kingdom of Israel, an evil kingdom, always had bad kings, worshipped false gods, did bad things. And then there was the kingdom of Judah who had, it seemed, this cycle of good king, bad king, good, good, bad, 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 good, bad, and, and then the last of the kings of Judah, the last 100 years, there were um, a, a number of kings that, for some reason, my brain just went, I think it was seven. And uh, of them, or it was eight, anyway, only one good king in the last 100 years, whose reign was only 21 years. So Judah, as it was coming to an end, had nothing for the most part, but evil kings. And what we saw in their culture was a worship of false gods and witchcraft and child sacrifice and injustice and a failure to follow God's laws. And they trusted in government over God and they were consistently killing the innocent for the sake of the unrighteous. And so this is the culture that Habakkuk and God have this dialogue in. Unlike other prophetic books, the book of Habakkuk is not... Thus saith the Lord through a prophet, but instead it is a prophet coming to God and asking a question and receiving an answer. Now it does apply to the whole kingdom of Judah and it applies to us today because we can see the parallels between Habakkuk's day and ours. And so what we need to see here is not a thus saith the Lord so much as this is an invitation to dialogue with the great God of creation. This is an invitation to really be like Habakkuk and pour out our hearts to him and to ask the whys and the what fors and the hows and to know that God will always answer those prayers. Now, how does God answer prayer? Sometimes it's, and sometimes it's, and sometimes it's. And those three different answers, we're going to see them in Habakkuk. We're going to see God responding to Habakkuk in love. And so we have this pronouncement that the prophet Habakkuk saw, this declaration, this, um, this burden is what the, it really means in the Hebrew, this burden that the prophet, the spokesperson for God, he saw with his very own eyes, he experienced tangibly the presence of God and got to hear and see and know what God was communicating clearly. And we kind of went through very quickly just reading through Habakkuk's 
first complaint last week. And so that is in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 here in Habakkuk. So let's um, follow along with me, if you will, and we'll read together Habakkuk's first complaint. Habakkuk says this, How long, Lord, must I call for help, and you do not listen, and cry out to you about violence, and you do not save? You, why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. So Habakkuk begins to complain to God. Now this is not something many of us think we have the privilege of doing as Christians. This complaining to God, this lamenting before God. But I got to tell you, we see it all throughout scripture that people, men and women who are in honest and earnest relationships with God have the privilege of coming to him, not just with, hey God, you're so good and we love you, but also, God, I don't understand and why is life like this? That there's this privilege of, of approaching God. Sorry, I'm making sure my connection is screwed in tight. It, uh, it was loose. So, um, yeah, I'm going to crank it down. Uh, I'll probably break something. Uh, so, so Habakkuk has this privilege of complaining to God, of letting God know his grievances, of letting God know that things are not like I expected them, God. How many of us have prayed prayers like that? How many of us have had moments like that? I, I remember once when our, our kids were younger, our kids were prone to, uh, our two oldest, uh, Justice and, and William, they were prone to uh, RSV and, and breathing issues, and there was one night where both of them were sick, and both of them, their, their lips were turning blue, you remember in, in, in the, the Hadley house? Yeah, and Shelly's always taking care of medical things, because I grew up in a family where it was like, here, have an Advil, go to bed, if you don't die, I'll see you in the morning, right? I mean, that was, you know, here's a Tylenol, here's... Here, when dad was feeling especially, uh, you know, gracious in, in caring for our needs, here, here's a shot of schnapps. I hope you don't die from coughing in the night, right? I mean, that was, that was my dad's medical plan for us. I think I saw the inside of a doctor's office a handful of times uh, throughout my childhood. And, and I'm not complaining. I'm still okay, I think. So, um, but, but our kids, their lips are turning blue. They can't breathe. I am freaking out. I'm a youth pastor at the time. The hospital's 20 minutes away. Shelly takes them, and I'm scared to death. I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't like going to see doctors. I don't like hospitals. If you do, you're amazing. I, that's scary. Um, but, but she goes, she takes them, and I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm upstairs, and I am lamenting to God. I'm, God, look, I'm a youth pastor. I'm giving my whole life for you. Why are you doing this? Why are my kids sick? Why would you bring us to the precipice of what feels like death? Why would you do this, God? I got better, clearly. And God didn't strike me dead for asking. And, and many of us think that, that it's not okay to question God. And Habakkuk helps us understand we don't question in disrespect. We don't question and, and call, into God, uh, call out to God and, and say, well, your character is flawed. But we say to him, I know who you are and I know you love me, but I don't understand. I don't get this, God. Why is the world falling apart around me? Why are there bad leaders? Why is there corruption? Why is 20 years of investment in a country allowed to just be destroyed 
in one week. Lives lost, millions, trillions spent. And, and why, God? Why, why, why can one virus come around the world and, and dampen everything, destroy so many lives? Why, God? We're allowed to ask. That's what Habakkuk teaches us first and foremost is we can come to God and ask the why questions. And here's how Habakkuk starts. How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? Or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? You see here in verse 1 right away, Habakkuk is helping us to understand how he feels. He feels like that there has been this situation. It goes on and on and on, and it is unresolved. How long, Lord? Seriously, how many days are you going to make me wait? What, what's the line like here? I mean, at least when I call the cable company, they lie to me and tell me it'll be 20 minutes. But you're not giving me any answers, God. How long? This ongoing and unresolved struggle with God's choices in his life and for us in ours and in the world around us. He says this, he says, I call for help and you don't listen. I cry out to you about violence and you do not save. He's essentially accusing God of ignoring calls for justice. Now, why would someone call to God for justice? Because he's a just God. He's holy. And when he tells us that he wants holiness in our lives and then people go astray, wouldn't we expect him to do something about it? Wouldn't we expect him to act? And Habakkuk is saying, I know who you are. I know what you say about yourself. I love you for who you are. Why aren't you doing what I believe you should do based upon who you are? God, what's going on here? So this is clearly, like many of the Psalms, a lament, a crying out to God for answers. And Habakkuk asks God these questions. Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. Can anybody identify with Habakkuk at this point? Can, can anybody feel what he's feeling, this struggle of why, why is so much wickedness right in front of me? And why do you make me look at it, God? Why does it feel like I cannot turn either to the right or the left and get away from it? I close my eyes, and it's still there. I try and find entertainment and diversion. It's still there. I try and do anything and everything to, to just find some peace in this life, and yet it still is smack dab in front of me everywhere I turn. And then he asks God, why do you tolerate long do, wrongdoing? What's, what's interesting is in the, the Hebrew here, there's, there's uh, two different words that Habakkuk uses. He says, why do you force me to look at injustice? And why do you tolerate or idly look upon wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife's ongoing and conflict escalates. He uses two, or, or two different words for look here. And he, he says, look twice. And then... He tells us that he's looking at the world right in front of him. He, he's nearsighted. All he sees is his little corner of the world, and he's lamenting about it. Now, that's normal for us, right? And, and so this is not condemnation. This is a diagnosis of what's going on in Habakkuk. He says, God, look 
Why, why, why do you make me look at that? Why aren't you looking down and doing right to all this bad stuff that's right here in front of me? So we see Habakkuk saying, look, look, twice. And then he has this nearsighted perspective. And he says, this is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. Um, I had a discussion this morning amongst the elders about governance, about what the government does in our lives. And, and that there have been times in the past where governments have been established stating that they are firmly um, built upon the, the teachings of Scripture and that they're going to use Scripture to govern. And, and we've seen it throughout history. And what oftentimes happens is that those very governments that people say we're going to use Scripture to govern become corrupt. Now, why is that? Well, we can look in the mirror and know that people are corrupt. That, that we, if given authority, even if we were trying to use the right tools, would probably end up perverting it and using things improperly. And, and that's what Habakkuk is saying here. Your good word, your perfect law, it has been rendered ineffective because wicked people take and twist it. Wicked people take and, and push the righteous aside and use your very law against the things it was created to, to establish and uphold. I mean, we, we, we know that, that the United States, when we put the U.S. in this kind of context, right, that the U.S. was founded upon good principles, solid thinking, but over time, the wickedness of man will always pervert that which is good. And we see the, the righteous being pushed aside. We see the wicked using the very laws that were based upon thoughts that came from God's mind to oppress, to destroy, to promote unrighteousness. And it's because of the presence of the wicked that justice always comes out perverted. And we're not necessarily just talking like justice, like jury of your peers and a judge, but we're talking about that balance between rightness being upheld and violence and wrongness being punished within a society. Habakkuk is saying that what God desires, right to be, to be blessed and upheld and wrong to be punished and cast out, it is being perverted and twisted on its head because of the presence of the wicked people who rule. And, and so Habakkuk really wants God to do something about these wicked people. He really wants God to do something about these people right in front of him who are doing so much wrong and so much injustice and perverting the truth of God. He wants God to act. Now what's interesting is as we look through Habakkuk, as we see this first complaint, it kind of gives us a, an indication that how we respond to trouble really matters. How we respond to trouble really matters. Look, there's a number of ways that we can respond to trouble. And one I thought of this morning as I was reviewing this is, is sometimes we give in to the wickedness and the injustice and the trouble around us by giving up and giving into it. Oh, well, can't beat them, join them, right? I mean, might as well make the most of it. You only live once. There's nobody in here young enough to YOLO for, so... Um, where are my little teenagers at? They're all downstairs eating bagels, aren't they? Are you watching? 
If you're watching, YOLO for me. All right, so anyway, um, they, they're supposed to be watching the live stream. How we respond matters. We can just give up. We can just acquiesce and just go, oh, well, nothing we can do. It's going to get from bad to worse. Oh, Jesus, come soon. Let's crawl into our holes. <laughs> Some of us maybe will respond with vigilante faith. And, and what I mean by that is, is kind of, you know, mo- the best known vigilante for, for me, at least, is like Batman. You know, that, that I see something wrong and I'm going to fix it no matter what it costs. You know, and, and, and this, this willingness to use the tools of the world to achieve things that we think are godly. This vigilante faith is going out on our own and doing for God what he won't do for us. And that's pretty sad to think that we can control ourselves in our lives like that. And then finally, some of us, we give up, we maybe have vigilante faith, and we just find coping mechanisms to be able to deal with it and, and to, to survive in the culture. We don't give in completely, but we kind of stay on the fringes and you know, try and, and be the resistance. But what we see is really the answer in Habakkuk is instead to come to God in lament and prayer. To really spend some time laying at the feet of the king of creation the things that trouble us. The things that stir up fears in our hearts. The things that we see right in front of us that we wish were different. And I'm not just talking about in our own lives. I'm not just talking about God, I I wish you could give me that raise. But I'm talking about the things that you see out there that, that you either get angry about or that you, you, you just go and, and stick your head in the sand or you just say, well, I mean, it must be okay if everybody else says it's okay. Those are the kinds of things that instead of, of dealing with them wrongly, we should always be coming back in God, to God and saying, why is it like this? Help us. Give us answers. Show us the path. Renew our faith in you. Help us to move forward like Habakkuk. Help us, ultimately, we're going to see over the course of the next few weeks, to land in a place similar to where Habakkuk lands. So we don't want to be responding to trouble by finding our own solutions. But instead, in these times of trouble, let's turn to God a little more robustly. Let's submit to him in prayer. Turn off the news. That's probably like, you know... God always answers prayers, yes, no, wait. And then the next lesson would be turn off the news. When, when the garbage gets posted on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or um, where else are you people hanging out? Uh, TikTok. Um, to just scroll past it. Not to deny that it's happening, but instead of, instead of fixating, instead of getting angry, instead of lamenting off to the side to, to your neighbor, Maybe scroll past and then spend time in prayer like Habakkuk. Come to God on his terms. Tell him what you feel in response to who he is. But deal with trouble properly. So we'll see that God answers Habakkuk as he comes to God with this complaint. And I bet you guys, if if you were to just write Habakkuk on your own, according to what you think about God, you might write something kind of like this. Oh, Habakkuk, I hear your prayers. I'm so sorry I didn't come sooner. Let me fix things for you. Let me make it just like you want, Habakkuk. You know what, Habakkuk, maybe you should be in charge. 
That's probably the best answer, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's how the modern 21st century Christian would likely write God's response. Habakkuk, you're right. I waited too long. I'm putting you in charge. <laughs> I smiled when I said that. Just, I, I felt like Joel Osteen there for a moment. It was just, it was like, <clears throat> I just, I had the glint and everything. But here's how God actually answers. Here's what God actually has to say to Habakkuk. If you look with me in verses 5 through 11, God says this. Look at the nations and observe. Be utterly astonished. For I am doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. Sounds good so far, doesn't it? Oh, this is good news coming. Look, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own. They are fierce and terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than wolves of the night. Their horsemen charge ahead. Their horsemen come from distant lands. They fly like eagles, swooping to devour. All of them come to do violence. Their faces are set in determination. They gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and rulers are a joke to them. They laugh at every fortress and build siege ramps to capture it. Then they sweep by like the wind and pass through. They are guilty. Their strength is their God. God's answer to Habakkuk's lament Habakkuk is saying, God, my world is filled with injustice and unrighteousness and perversion. Why aren't you doing something about it? And God's answer is, oh, Habakkuk, I am. I am sending the wicked and destructive Chaldeans, Chaldeans, however you want to pronounce it from your world's perspective. I am sending them to punish you and your people. Isn't that great? Isn't this phenomenal? I want you to be amazed, Habakkuk. I am answering your prayers. I'm going to destroy Judah. Wait a minute. This, I don't think this was the answer Habakkuk expected. And in fact, as we are going to go further into Habakkuk in the coming weeks, we're going to see he really didn't want this or see this at all. So here's what God says, that to look at the nations and observe, be utterly astounded. And as we... we unfold this a little bit as we dig into a little bit it's interesting how God responds to Habakkuk Habakkuk in his charge against God he says you make me look at injustice and you look idly at wrongdoing and he says everything right here in front of me is falling apart and God says this I want you Habakkuk to look at the nations the whole world and observe so God says to Habakkuk twice look and look and I don't want you to just look at what's in right in front of you. I want you to look at everything. I want you to look from my perspective. I want you to see the world the way I see it. Because you see the world, and it's all right there in front of you. It's how it affects you. It's how you feel. It's how you think that people around you are behaving. And you see injustice, and you go, that's not fair right there. And God is looking at everything and saying, I know, and I've got plans. Habakkuk, will you join me in looking at the big picture? Christians, will you join him in looking at the big picture? 
And he actually says to Habakkuk, as he's beginning to describe what he's going to do, I want you to be utterly astonished. The, the literal translation from the Hebrew is, shock yourselves and be shocked. I want you to wake up and realize just how exciting this is. God is telling Habakkuk, I'm in control. I'm in charge. Before you even prayed, I knew what was needing to happen. I, I want you to look beyond your own little perspective, and I want you to see the whole world, and I want you to marvel at what is to come. Because we should marvel when the, the hand of God is, is working in ways we never even imagined. We should marvel when he's answering prayers before we've even prayed them. We should marvel that his plan consistently comes to unfold in every way. Here's what he says to Habakkuk. I'm doing something in your days that you would not believe, or you will not believe when you hear about it. God is always answering and saving. He's always moving and doing. His plans are always unfolding, even when it seems like he is doing nothing. Even when it seems like the whole world is collapsing and there is nothing but brokenness and despair and injustice and perversion around us, when we turn our face to God and seek him, he will affirm for us that he is answering. He is at work still. He has not abandoned his plans or his people, even when his people have abandoned him. God's answering and saving all the time, even when it seems like he isn't. God again says to Habakkuk, look. I want you to open your eyes fully and look. Here's what I'm doing. I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own. This is not the answer Habakkuk expected. This is not the answer he wanted. But it is the answer that God had for him. Now, to put it in context, when we see the world around us today, what are our prayers like? God fix. God restore. God make it what it used to be. God bring it back to how we like it. God, please make things the way that we want. Because you're a good God, right? And if you're good, you should do what we would like. But God is saying, that's not my plan all the time, every time. And the plan here is not to fix, but to destroy and begin again. To destroy to remind the, the, the people of Judah of God's power to both bless them and wipe them off the face of the earth. And, and that same thing could happen to us at any time as, as, as we and the, the people of our country and our world walk in rebellion against God. He can both bless us when we're faithful or wipe us out when we are unfaithful. And, and he can at any moment begin the process, if he has not already, of raising up an even worse people, an even more wicked nation, as a tool of his judgment 
for the people who have abandoned him. And, and, and this is a difficult thing to see. It's a difficult thing to accept, isn't it? That God would behave this way. But God has always promised his people. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New. When you are faithful, you will find blessing. When you are rebellious, the gloves are off. And when we're talking about the world in general, when they honor God, they find blessing. The unsaved, when they walk in their rebellion, they will always face judgment. We should not be surprised that a nation of people, both believers and unbelievers, would find themselves under the hand of judgment and God using a tool like another wicked nation to make that happen. Because he does it here in Habakkuk. So when we say, oh, things are so bad, God's answer sometimes is, oh, it's going to get worse. And I'm going to judge. And I am going to utterly wipe out those very things that you're calling out. You're right. They're wrong. It is injustice and perversion. And it needs to be destroyed. And I'm going to use a tool to do so. Now, the Chaldeans, the Chaldeans, I'm going to mess this up the whole time, so let's just call them what they are. It's the Neo-Babylonian Empire, the Babylonians. The, the, it's, it's Nebuchadnezzar, ultimately. And, and what we see is there was actually way back, if, if anybody remembers high school world history, and none of you do, so that's okay. Uh, high school world history, though, if you were to like go back in the, in the way back machine, and you were able to see that you would remember all the way back, early, early, uh, there's the Babylonian Empire in like the 1800s BC. And there was this guy named Hammurabi. Anybody remember? It's just a fun name to know. Anyway, it's like, it's a nickel word, Hammurabi. And uh, he had a code. He actually wrote law. And it's one of the first written laws in, in human history, Hammurabi's code. And it's based upon the concept of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It, it is that you receive punishment in proportion to the crime you have committed. Well, that empire fell, and it, it took an, a number of years until this Neo-Babylonian empire begins. And, and it starts up in about 625 B.C., which is just a little bit earlier than we think Habakkuk has his discussion with God. But Judah... The kingdom had already been living under very poor leadership for about 80 years at that point. And so Judah is already filled with injustice and wickedness and destruction and witchcraft and bad leaders and terrible followers. And yet the Neo-Babylonian Empire is starting to gain ground. In 612 BC, they destroy the city of Nineveh, which was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, which is... The empire, the wicked, evil empire that God used to judge the northern kingdom of Israel. And then in 609 BC, the Neo-Babylonian Empire defeats Assyria, which is, the, like I said, the, the, it was the big empire of the day. 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, he's just a general. His father is still the ruler of the Neo-Babylonian Empire, but Nebuchadnezzar, whose name most of us know, he was the guy with a chocolate factory, if you're into VeggieTales. Um, Nebuchadnezzar defeats the Egyptian army in a battle of Carchemish. Once again, some of you don't care. That's fine. Some of you are like, yeah, oh, Carchemish. That's where it really took off for Nebuchadnezzar. And it was. 
It's where he asserted himself and he becomes king. And then we get, and, and it, the, the stories begin to intersect in 598 BC. If you guys remember the really wicked King Jehoiakim that we talked about last week, he was killed. And then his, his uh, son, Zedekiah, no, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, Zedekiah, sorry, I got to remember all the different ones. Uh, Jehoiakim, anyway, these kings, they die, and then, they, then some other ones are put in their place. Zedekiah, turn back to your notes from last week, and then you can tell me. You can remind me what I said. Um, mine are right here, and I just don't want to turn to them. Uh, Zedekiah is put in as a puppet government of the Chaldeans. And then finally, in 587 B.C., they destroy Jerusalem and the temple. So this is what's going to happen. These are the people that God is going to use to bring judgment in accordance with Habakkuk's lament. Habakkuk's like, God, fix this! And God says, I'm going to. I'm going to use this, this empire that I've been raising up for the last 20 years or so. And I've been preparing for this job. And you're going to see them do these things. God says this about the Chaldeans, the Babylonian Empire. He says, they are fierce and terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. In other words, this is a completely pagan nation that God is going to use to judge his people. Habakkuk wants God to fix things. And God says, I'm going to, but not in the way you expect. They're fierce and terrifying. He talks about their horsemen. Their horses are swifter than leopards and more fierce than wolves of the night. Now this is, of course, metaphor. But God is trying to paint a picture for Habakkuk, and Habakkuk is already very familiar with the Babylonian Empire. God's trying to paint a picture for Habakkuk and, and say, these are not nice people and their ways of war are not nice. They're swifter than leopards, more fierce than wolves of the night. Their horsemen charge ahead. Their horsemen come from distant lands. The Babylonian Empire was known to gather soldiers from all of their conquered lands and incorporate them into their army. They fly like eagles, swooping to devour. All of them come to do violence. If all of them come to do violence, that means none of them come to be nice. None of them come to just soothe you or comfort you, but they all come to destroy you. Their faces are set in determination. And then, then God says this to Habakkuk, they gather prisoners like sand. What's going to happen to the people of Judah? Not, not they, they won't all just be wiped out, but instead the Babylonian Empire is going to come in and take many of them captive and take them back to Babylon take them back to the central area of the empire and try and incorporate them into Babylonian culture. And this is what Babylon is known for. It would, throughout the, the, its short history, it would go in and like the Assyrian empire before, would take lots of captives and make them all slaves and servants and bring them back away from their lands, back to the, the homeland of the empire and seek to change them into faithful citizens of the empire they gather prisoners like sand 
God says. They mock kings and rulers are a joke to them. They laugh at every fortress and build siege ramps to capture it. These people who are coming on behalf of my judgment are not going to mess around. Everything you think makes you strong, they laugh at. Everything you think makes you significant in this world, they find to be unimportant and able to be brushed aside and ignored as they come to capture you. Then they sweep by like the wind and pass through. They are guilty. God makes no bones about what's coming. These are wicked and guilty people coming to bring judgment upon the kingdom of Judah. Habakkuk's prayer is, God, why are things so bad? And God's answer is, they're going to get worse. And it's not because I'm out of control. It's because it's my plan. It's what I have for the unfaithful. It's what I have for the wicked is that they will be destroyed. And yes, guess what? I'm going to use an even more wicked nation to carry out my plan. Uh, God says to Habakkuk of the Babylonians, they're guilty, their strength is their God. What's interesting is they, they actually, uh, the, the Babylonians worshiped the God, his name was Marduk, not Marmaduke, like the, the big dog from the cartoon strip, but Marduk. And, and he, it was a, a sun god, uh, a war god, and they actually, in the temples, they would have people that made bows and arrows. That was part of their duties in the temple. It would be like if, as a church, we started hiring people to, um, to do gunsmithing and reloads, right? I, I mean, you know, or, or, or something like that. That that's, was part of their religious expression was to create the weapons of war. They would, they would build chariots as, as part of their worship experience. Their, their very strength in battle was part of their, their religious life. Their strength was their God. God is, is saying clearly to Habakkuk, listen, these aren't people to be messed around with. And they're not joking, but neither am I. Remember, after, before this description, God begins it all with, look and be amazed, Habakkuk. What's interesting is God doesn't really see this as bad news. God's not telling Habakkuk, ah, I got a downer for you. I want you to be bummed, Habakkuk. God actually is, is, is talking to Habakkuk and saying, I, I, I want you to celebrate in this. I, I want you to see that I'm at work. I want you to see that even though you thought I was silent and blind and inactive all of this time, I have actually been answering your prayer for years now. It does not end up being the answer that Habakkuk wanted, but it is God's answer. And it's the perfect answer. And it's the right answer. And God wants Habakkuk to be in a place where he doesn't sit back and lament the answer, but instead is able to say, this stinks, but man, God, it's so cool to see you in control. Thank you for answering my prayers. It's not what I was hoping for, but thank you. Thank you for being sovereign over all of this. And I don't have to be in charge because you are. God really wanted Habakkuk to come to that place 
just in this first answer. Now we're going to see Habakkuk begins in his response to God's answer to take issue with God's choices. But that's not what God wanted at first. And Habakkuk's response could have simply been as God desired. Thank you, Lord. You give and you take away. Blessed be your name. Thank you, Lord. And as God answers Habakkuk, really just to sum it up, he says to him he's going to send an even more unrighteous and vicious empire to fill his promises for justice in the lives of his people. That was God's plan. That's what was going to happen. We see it. What's interesting is, is it hasn't just happened this one time, but we see it happen in the lives of nations over and over and over again. How they start off sometimes in, in, in righteousness and in honoring God. They slip into wickedness and then judgment comes. And then that nation that brought the judgment faces judgment because of their own wickedness. And the nation that God uses to bring judgment faces judgment. And we say, well, when will this cycle end? I'll tell you when the cycle will end. When the king, the one true king of all creation, returns physically like is recorded in the book of Revelation. And we have Jesus return finally and triumphantly to be king over all creation of course, at that time as well, all those who have rejected him as Lord and Savior will face judgment that is eternal, while all those who have chosen to submit to him as Lord and Savior will find themselves with a brand new body on a brand new earth in a perfect relationship with one another and creation and their creator to live forevermore. And so this cycle will end. But until Jesus comes back, we're going to see it repeat over and over. So today, today, as we look at, at the comparisons between what's going on in Habakkuk's life, and we look at what's going on in our lives, and we look at Habakkuk's lament and God's answers for him, and we consider our own laments about our own culture and what's going on in the world around us, how might we then choose to respond to what God would say to us about what he wants to do in our culture? in our day. So today, I want to encourage you to be aware of your perspectives, to be aware of, of not just your world, but the world, and to try and see things from God's perspective. As you watch things get hard and difficult, and, and, and they are, and they will, and, 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 and it's, it's understandable that we get frustrated, but also to, to try and have a perspective that's beyond your own workaday life, and see how God is at work around us. I want to encourage you to be careful of your responses. Not, not to be condemning God, not to be losing your faith, not to be in a place where you think you have to all of a sudden be a vigilante Christian and going out and making war with everyone. But I also don't want to see you slinking away and hiding in your basement until Jesus comes back. Right? It's not a hide in your basement till you hear the trumpets kind of thing. But instead to honestly and earnestly engage in love with those around you and also to begin to pray and lament about the things that you see. My prayer for myself is I, I can be a little hard sometimes. I'm, I'm a black and white, matter of fact kind of guy. And I struggle with really being emotional over stuff. I cried once. You know, I got better. Um... 
And it's not a tough guy thing. I just don't feel like crying very often. Um, uh, sorry, babe. But um, the, the thing is, though, I, one of my prayers has been, God, would, would I be broken? Help, help me to, to be broken for the things that break you. Help, help me to lament over the things that you lament over. Help me to, to see sin the same grievous way that you see it. Starting with my own and continuing with that of the world around me. Help me to have a perspective that's like yours and then to have right responses to that perspective. In all of this, I want to encourage you to remember God is at work. When you say, how long, O Lord? It could be just a breath away. It could be another 10 years. But he is always working and doing and bringing things to pass. Both in the big picture and in our lives today. The small things that impact maybe just us. He's always at work. And then finally, I, I just want to remind you that God answers. God answers. Now, we talked about it before. Three answers, right? What are those answers? We got yes, no, wait. Now Habakkuk gets a yes that leads to him going no. But he still has to wait for this to unfold in God's perfect timing. But he answered, his prayers were answered, his laments were answered, and yours will be too, and are being answered even now as you feel them. As the worship team makes their way up to just close us out in our last song of the morning, I just want to invite everybody to take a moment, and I'm not going to lead you in prayer, but for you to take a moment and just be honest with God. Lament, share your frustrations. Help him, or ask him to open your eyes to see his perspectives, to respond in a way that glorifies him. But end your time by just letting him know that you trust him. And if you don't trust him at the moment, let him know why. Let him know your struggles. And he will prove himself faithful. And he will show you that he will answer and is even now answering each of your concerns and prayers. So you, on your own, spend a few moments with God before we sing our last song. Share with him your frustrations and see what he might have in store for you in this coming year. Jesus, Jesus. 
darkness tremble Jesus Jesus you silence fear Jesus Jesus you make the darkness tremble Jesus Jesus breathe call these bones to live call these lungs to sing once again I will praise Jesus Jesus you make the darkness tremble Jesus Jesus you silence fear Jesus Jesus you make the darkness tremble tremble Jesus Jesus you silence fear Jesus Jesus you make the darkness tremble
in the name of Jesus and by his work in our lives that we are able to be confident that God is taking and using all of these things, working them out for our good and his glory according to his perfect plans to grow us up into the likeness of Christ and achieve his ultimate glory as Jesus returns on that day of perfection. I encourage you to trust in him, to walk in his ways, and to know that his plans are perfect, even when the answer isn't what you expected or hoped for. I encourage you this coming week, we've got some stuff coming up, of course, all of our normal studies, and then 1829 will be this coming Friday night at 7 p.m., and then next Sunday, encourage you to bring kids backpacks. We'll be doing backpack blessings. Whatever age you are, if you want your backpack tagged and loved on and prayed over, bring it next Sunday, and we will be doing that. And then finally, I want you to be considering at least one person or friend or family member that you'd like to see coming back to church and invite them to join us September 19th. And we'll be having our Back to Church Sunday service as well as a meal to follow We'll be beginning a series in Philippians, which is a great book of the Bible. Not that any of them are really better than the others. They're all really good. If you haven't read it, go for it. Read some more. They're good stuff, but Philippians is really applicable for us today. So I encourage you to be thinking about somebody you can invite. We're going to have invitations available starting next Sunday, and they'll be a little unique. So just be ready for some unique invitations to go out and invite your loved ones friends and family and co-workers to join us back at church September 19th. And then of course, the very next Sunday, we'll be kicking off our Sunday Bible School where everybody, every age group will have the opportunity to join us for Bible study before service and then a great service time together. So we're looking forward to all of that. God bless you guys. May you have an amazing week as you see his face, as you both lament and rejoice in the answers he